invite you to join me back in John. John chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 35 through 51 as we continue to make our way through this gospel account. What you'll find as we turn here is is a story of Jesus calling to himself a a group of men who will uh, become disciples. As you hear this passage as we work through it even you'll at first glance it it might seem like a group of isolated uh, scenes sort of separated but what I hope to to show is that there's a deep connection because in these scenes where we see Jesus interacting with people with with people going out and bringing other people to Jesus and Jesus interacting with them we see a deep window into the heart of Jesus and, and throughout these, these interactions, we see this, this beautiful picture of Jesus patiently pursuing and drawing us to himself. Let me pray, asking the Lord's blessing on our time together in his word. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word, and it is the word that you have ordained for us this morning. I pray that through it we would hear and see and know Jesus. Do this, we ask, by the power of your spirit, and in the name of your son. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. The next day... Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, it's August, and I know that it is hot, and we're trying to make our way through summer, but I just got to tell you, it is the beginning of the most magical time of year, college football season. (laughs) And I think we always, or I always look forward to this time of year, but, but maybe more so this year because of what we missed last year. Now, don't get me wrong, I I love the the football games, but maybe more than the football games, I love the tailgating. See, we've got two kids now at Auburn, and and our time has just become so much richer, so much more fun as we go, and we uh, go on game days, and we gather with old friends at a tailgate tent and also get to spend time with our kids. At age 48... I realize that I am blessed to call a small handful of men best friends. One of those best friends is a part of this tailgate tent group. It was the most magical time of year. Let me ask you, though, as I think about that and think about what we're about to do, it's, it's had me thinking about friendship. If you think about your best friend or best friends, At what point did they become your best friends? At what point did they cross the line and become official? Troy and I lived together three years in college. But I can't tell you when we became best friends. I just know that that over time, through conversations, through shared meals, through walks in the woods, through laughter, through tears, through joys and sorrows, our relationship grew. We didn't sit down with one another and exchange resumes and have a formal interview and decide, okay, do we want to enter into the contract of friendship? That's what you do when you're interviewing for a job. But with relationships, with friendships we we simply put one foot in front of the other we take the next step towards relationship because relationships are stories and stories take time and patience to play out now we know that or at least I hope we know that when it comes to friendships but maybe sometimes we forget it when it comes to relationship with Jesus This text that we just read, it illustrates the way stories play out in the context of relationship, one step at a time. We see uh, three little scenes, three vignettes of Jesus drawing men to himself, one step at a time. Your outline lists out three of those scenes, if you will, but there's one that comes before it that we've got to look to because it sets some background for, for the rest of the scenes. And, and in that background, it sets a tone for what's to follow. John the Baptist is who uh, speaks first. As we heard last week, it's John the Apostle who wrote this account, but he's interacting with the Baptist here, and the Baptist once again sees Jesus now walking in front of him, and he says, Behold, there goes the Lamb of God. The Baptist has two 
of his disciples with him. One, we come to see, is named Andrew. One, the other, we believe, is uh, the, the infamous uh, unnamed disciple in this gospel account, John, just to make matters more complicated. And those two disciples hear the Baptist speak, and then the text tells us they follow Jesus. Now, when you hear follow Jesus, maybe in your mind you have some, some image of, of fully formed, mature discipleship. And on one hand, I hope you imagine that because it's, it's important for us as Christians to, to follow Jesus, to, to submit to his lordship, to, to grow in deep knowledge of him. But that's not what's taking place here in this scene. In this scene, following Jesus means literally following him, walking behind him. <laughs> Andrew and John are simply taking the next steps. So Jesus senses someone is walking behind him, and he, and he turns around, and he, and he saw them, and he asked that greatest of all questions, what are you seeking? My father-in-law is the king of the open-ended question. <laughs> He'll simply say, what do you think? And he just is waiting to hear what direction I'm going to take that answer, and that's where we'll go with the conversation. Open-ended questions do that. They're a window into the heart. They let the listener go where the listener needs to go. Jesus does this with, with Andrew and John. He asks an open-ended question, what are you seeking? They can take it wherever they want. And so what is their response? These two men, they're, they're there. They have just been pointed to the Lamb of God, and they have their moment. He's speaking to them, asking them this question, and then they can ask anything they want. And then the best they can come up with is, where are you going? Where are you staying? It sort of falls flat, doesn't it? You might expect more. But there's something encouraging in that. These men who would become disciples, whom Jesus would name apostles, they didn't have it all figured out. This is the beginning of the story. They're simply walking behind Jesus. They didn't know what they were seeking. And so Jesus' answer was perfect. Come and you will see. He didn't rebuke them for the shallowness of their answer. He didn't sit them down and give them a precise theological response. He didn't teach them how the Old Testament prophecy pointed to him. He simply said, come along. Take another step in this relational journey that we call getting to know Jesus. So they did. They went and they stayed with Jesus. And in doing so, they began a relationship with Jesus. Then Andrew took another step. That step was to go and get his brother Simon. He found Simon, as the text puts it, and then there, finding Simon, he tells Simon, we have found the Messiah. Now, 
Andrew, at this point, has no idea what he's talking about, and neither did Simon. He had a confused concept of the Messiah, but he knew he was developing relationship. And so he invited Simon to come along, come with me, and see this Jesus. Simon did. Simon took a step took a step towards Jesus, though that wasn't the main point of this little scene. Here was the main point. When he got there, Jesus looked at him. But the look here is a looking over, an examining. Have you ever had someone look you over, up and down? How did it feel? Did it feel like they were sizing you up, trying to see what you were made of, trying to gauge what you were capable of? Is that what you think Jesus was doing here with Peter, sizing him up, trying to determine if this was somebody that he could work with? No. No. Jesus is looking at Simon, and then he makes a declaration over him. That declaration changes everything. It is a declaration of what Simon will become, what he will do. Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic. Peter is Greek. Both mean the rock. Later, In the gospel account, we will see Jesus adding some meaning to the rock when he says, Peter, you are the rock on whom I will build this church. At this point, Andrew couldn't comprehend who the Messiah was, neither did Peter. They just took a step together towards Jesus. And in that step, Jesus declared a truth over Simon, changing his name to Peter the Rock. But if you've read these accounts in the Gospels, you know he was anything but a rock. Most of the time, he was more of a flake. But that wasn't the point. Jesus wasn't done with them. Jesus gives Simon a new identity and a new purpose. Peter was far from being that guy. God is at work. God was at work in the life of Peter, and God is at work in our lives, bringing to fruition the declaration that he makes over us in Jesus Christ, bringing us into the fullness of the righteousness given to us by Jesus. Friends, God is at work, and there is freedom and joy in that truth that Peter was a flake just like us. Jesus didn't size him up to see what potential he had. Jesus declared a truth over him and brought him into that truth. Because that's how Jesus works. Through relationship to shape us and transform us. Peter, he didn't know the details of the story. and Neither do we. But Jesus does. Because he's written it in advance. So Simon did the right thing, just as his brother Andrew before him had done. He simply followed. That's scene one or two, depending on how you count. (laughs) Next one I want to take us to is Philip and Nathaniel. 
it opens with this short, sort of punchy beginning. It says, Jesus found Philip. And then he says, follow me. Again, this follow me is not this fully mature discipleship. It's taking the next step towards Jesus because Jesus is drawing. Then Philip took his next step. He went and found Nathanael. And to Nathanael, he says, we have found the one, the one whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, again, none of these men understood what they were talking about, but they knew something was different about Jesus. Something was special about him. Nathaniel, he wasn't buying it just yet. Nazareth? You kidding me? That backwoods town? That's one of those places that James Spann speaks about when he's telling us the tornadoes are coming. Nothing good comes out of there. We get it, don't we? Because we have this, we have this picture of what greatness is. Greatness comes from greatness. Greatness looks like greatness. We have an image in our mind of what greatness is to be. But Jesus is anything but our imagination. He, he is unlike anything or anyone that we could picture to fit that role because his kingship doesn't fit into the worldly categories. Philip didn't have it all figured out. He didn't know what to do with, well, maybe he knew exactly what to do with Nathaniel's response. You see, he simply said, come and see. He, he'd already said that Jesus was the one who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, but he didn't sit Nathaniel down to teach him all of that. He didn't rebuke him for the worldliness of his false image of the Messiah. He simply put his arm around Nathaniel's shoulder. He said, come and see. I don't have all the answers that you're looking for, but I think I've found the one who does. And so together, why don't you and I go see him? I'll take the next step following Jesus with you. In that way, Philip's words, they, they, they echo the earlier words of Jesus. When Jesus had Andrew and John. When Jesus had Andrew and John and told them, come and you will see, what was he doing? He was, he was giving them time and space for the story to unfold. Because that's the way relationship happens. It's a step-by-step -step process. And when Jesus did that, this is the other thing he was saying. He was saying, I'm not needy. I don't have to show the evidence that my ministry is working. I don't need that so that my supporters can hear that what I'm doing is effective. I'm not going to be dependent upon that. I'm going to give this relationship space and time to work out. Philip is graciously doing the same with Nathaniel. Do we? Are we willing to allow Jesus to work in the lives of others? Are we willing to give them time and space to encounter Jesus relationally? The same way friendships 
developed? Are we actually willing to trust Jesus with these relationships? Philip learned well from Jesus, and he simply responded to Nathanael, come and see. So Nathanael responded. He took that next step. Now, I know that what we're talking about, this, this patience and, and allowing relationship to develop, I, I know that it makes some of us uncomfortable. We need to see something more actionable, something more concrete. For some of us, this slow developing relationship feels like happenstance, but not to Jesus, because all along, Jesus is patiently, purposefully drawing these men into the depths of relationship. And he is Lord of all. And if you are here this day, and if you are in Christ, he has been doing the same with you, patiently, purposefully drawing you in, and he's had you all along. He's the same with Nathaniel. And so when Jesus saw Nathaniel come up to him, he welcomed him. He welcomed him. And when Nathaniel asked, How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you. I saw you. Those words, they 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 stopped Nathaniel in his tracks. Because somehow Nathaniel just got this sense that what Jesus was saying when he said, I saw you under the fig tree, Jesus was talking about more than location. Jesus wasn't simply saying, I saw where you were sitting. He's saying, I saw you. And that meant everything to Nathaniel. Michael reminded me this week that the African Zulu tribe, they, they have this greeting called Salabono. They greet other Zulus with that word, salabono. We do something shorter, <laughs> simpler. Hey. For us, hey is a, it's a casual greeting. It's, it's maybe a verbal icebreaker. It's, it's the bridge. That, so we don't just jump in and hit somebody with what we're wanting to ask of them. We, we say, hey, and then, and then we jump in. Salabono is different. It's not a casual hello. Salabono means I see you. When the Zulus greet someone, that's how they greet them. I see you. I see who you are. I see how you were created. I see your soul. And in seeing you, I welcome you. How would it feel to be greeted that way? think it would feel like I was known. I think it would feel like I was valued. I don't know all that was going on in Nathaniel's heart sitting under that fig tree, but evidently something was churning. He was wrestling with deep, profound thoughts. Maybe he was wrestling with anxieties or fears or trying to figure out his own identity. And in Jesus' words, I saw you, he knows that he is known. And that's a game changer. That knowing, that, that wasn't merely available for Nathaniel. I don't know if Nathaniel heard those words and thought of Psalm 139, but they come from the same God. 
The psalmist in Psalm 139 says these words, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And then in verse 16, he goes on to say, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Friends, we get to echo the psalmist's words as he speaks of the God who sees and knows. Somehow, in that moment, hearing these words, Nathaniel knew what it meant to be known, and he knew that this knowing was supernatural. And so as he took the next step towards relationship with Jesus, for him, that step looked like confession. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus heard that confession. Jesus received that confession, and, and I imagine he received it with a twinkle in his eye. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. We're just getting started in this relationship. What's the next step for you? in pursuing relationship with Jesus? Could the next step for you be, be stepping out and, and asking that friend whom you've been watching and, and you've seen how they live and you've seen this mysterious peace in their lives, could the next step in following Jesus be simply taking the step towards that friend and asking them what it is that they have come to see in Jesus? Could the next step for you be taking a step towards, towards opening the Scriptures? Maybe they've seemed mysterious. Maybe they've seemed confusing. Hard to read. But could the next step for you in relationship with Jesus be to, be to open this Word and begin to pursue Jesus in relationship? Might that step be accompanied by allowing yourself to be vulnerable? enough to ask an elder to join you in reading the word could that be the next step in pursuing relationship with jesus could the next step for you look like mission maybe not going to do mission work on a college campus maybe it's gently placing an arm around your neighbor and saying, come and see. I don't have all your answers, but I think you've got questions, and I think I know the one who has those answers. Whatever the next step is, please hear and feel this freedom. You don't have to have the journey mapped out. Relationships, they take time to be real and it is the same in relationship with Jesus but that slow developing pathway that we don't have mapped out it is not happenstance Jesus is patiently purposefully drawing us into depth and so allow him to pursue you by simply taking the next step and allow 
him to do that with others, taking the next step with them. As I've spent time in this text this week, it's, it's brought to my own mind and heart the ways in which I have done the opposite of this and trying to map out everything in my life and every ministry engagement. Forgive me. I want to be like Philip. Not the one with the answers. The one with the relationship. Let us be that person. Let us be that church. Let us trust in Jesus with these relationships. That's in the beginning um, how you came to be friends or when you came to be friends with your best friend. It's rare when we can point to a specific event to know when we cross that threshold. Most of us don't have a date we can point to to know when the relationship was sealed. It's actually a lot like Christian testimonies. And yet some of us feel like that slow developing moment by moment, day by day, one foot in front of the other testimony is boring. As if a long-term relationship with Jesus could be boring. We just don't know what was, that, what was that moment. But here's the thing. If you are in Christ, He has seen you all along. He has known you all along. He has had you all along. The testimonies of one step at a time following Jesus like the ones we find in this text, ones of Jesus drawing us all along. Because He is the one who secures our place with the Father. And that's what He alludes to. That's what He points to at the end of this passage. Verse 51 is it's a bit mysterious, a bit confusing. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open to the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Maybe you heard that and wondered, what is Jesus talking about? How does that fit with the rest of this passage? Well, we have to understand it in connection with the verse earlier. Verse 47. Another awkward statement. When Nathanael walked up, Jesus said, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. It's sort of an interesting character description, don't you think? But when we connect it to what Jesus is saying in verse 51, it's an indicator for us of where Jesus' mind is in this interaction with this Israelite, with Nathanael. Have to go back to Genesis 27 and 28. In the story of Jacob, Jacob was a weasel of a sinner. <laughs> but he was one who was redeemed by the Lord and through whom he brought blessing to the nations. In Genesis chapter 27, we see the story of Jacob and his brother Esau. But Jacob, the name, means deceiver. How would you like to give your child that name? In Genesis 27, he deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright, living into his name. 
Genesis 28, Jacob is running away from his parents, probably because he feared his life at the hands of Esau. But there in Genesis 28, 12, Jacob, the deceiver, had a dream. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jacob's dream of Jacob's ladder. And Jacob took the dream to mean that the place was holy. So he named that place Bethel, Beth-el, house of God. But here in John 1, Jesus is saying it's not the place that's holy, it's the person. Jesus is the ladder. We think of ladders as a way to climb up, but Jesus is saying, no, I am the connecting point. I am the one who makes you holy unto the Lord. Jesus is the link between heaven and earth. Jesus is the bond between God and man. Jesus is the one who, by means of his life and of his death, reconciles sinful man to a holy and just God. Friends, every testimony out there and in here is beautifully unique with a beautifully different timeline. But every testimony, every true testimony, rests on Jesus. Who is telling us here in John 1.51 a truth that he will make clear in John 14.6. I am the ladder. I am the connecting point to heaven. I am the way, the truth, the life. Jacob, the deceiver, the Lord changed his name. Israel. Simon, the flake, Jesus changed his name to the rock. You and I, in Christ, are declared righteous in Christ. Friends, wherever you are in the story, know this. Jesus is the one drawing you. Jesus is the one defining you. So follow his patient and gentle lead, one step at a time. Father, thank you for this word. My heart needs to hear it. All of us need to hear it because it points us to the Savior who is patient. It points us to the Savior who is true. It points us to the Savior who gets his man. Give us the confidence to trust and rest in him with our lives and with the lives of others. In Christ's name we pray.